Good morning. Today's Bible reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through to 31. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dave. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Sam. I'm the pastor of our Uni Church congregation. It's great to be with you this morning and exploring this part of God's Word together. So I have uh, two daughters, and my younger daughter, Mia, is 10 months old. She's awesome. She's, she's funny and she's affectionate. She loves her big sister. But 
she's not all perfect. And one of the things that is hard work with Mia at the moment, maybe parents in the room can sympathize with this, is that it always feels like there's a piece of elastic between me and her tying us together that stops me from moving too far away from her. If I leave the room and Mia's left in there alone, I know that I'm going to be pulled back in there in a matter of seconds because as soon as she realizes I'm gone, she calls out for me. Either, either she'll, she'll realize I'm gone and she'll start calling out for me. I'll kind of hear the whine, which will be followed by a little thump of hands and knees on the floor as she follows me out of the room, feeling anxious that she's apart from me. Or that, that whine and the thumps won't come. There'll just be silence, and that's worse. Because <laughs> if she's silent, I know that she's taking full advantage of my absence to basically to eat the grossest things that she can find on the ground in the room. Play-Doh, stickers, grass that's fallen off the dog, hard scraps of bread under the table that the dog couldn't reach. And so inevitably, whether there's noise or silence, I'm back in the room seconds later, chasing her around, fishing things out from between her clenched jaws. One time she, she cried all the way through dinner and then at the end of the meal we saw her kind of moving something around in her mouth and found this little jagged rock that she'd been holding in there for who knows how long. If I, if I leave her, she panics or she's naughty. For kids, maybe for all of us in some situations, we're a bit like that, right? Maybe you remember as a child being in high school when a teacher didn't show up for your class. Do you remember that experience? And in a matter of seconds, it's Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I remember one class where the teacher was maybe five minutes late at most, but in that five-minute period, we took every chair and table in the room and built them into a mountain that touched the roof of the classroom. Or when your boss is away, do you, do people in your office act any different? Longer lunch break perhaps, leisurely conversations by the kettle. It definitely doesn't happen in the St. Jude's office, but I've heard maybe it might elsewhere. That's, that's kind of where Jesus' followers are at as we continue through this conversation that they're having with Jesus just before his crucifixion. Right, Jesus has told them he's going to leave them. He's going away to go and prepare a place for them with the Father. And so they're worried. They're anxious. Right? They're like COVID dogs watching their owner put their office clothes on for the first time in months. They're worried about him going away, worried about what that will mean for them. And so Jesus comforts them. He strengthens them. He reassures them by explaining to them that he will not leave them as orphans, in his words here, but he will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to them. What Jesus does in these verses is, is twofold, and so this is what we're going to do together as well as we explore his words. First, he teaches them about how God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit relates to them. This is a wonderful providential passage for us to explore this Trinity Sunday together. Jesus teaches them about how God the Trinity relates to them and he does that in order to strengthen them to live for him in this world. 
He teaches them about how God the Trinity relates to them in order to strengthen them to live for him in this world. Have a look uh, in your Bible or in in the sheet if you've got it in front of you at verse 27. That kind of reveals Jesus' hope for, for the emotional effect, the impact of his words on his followers. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That's what Jesus wants for them. That's what he wants for us in his word today. And this repeated refrain as well that maybe you noticed as we were reading through the passage reveals the lived outcome that Jesus desires for us to keep his commands. To keep his commands. So he teaches them about how God the Trinity relates to them and he does it in order to strengthen them to live for him in this world. Now this this farewell discourse, John 14 to 17, that we're exploring at the moment across these weeks, this is the place in the Bible where Jesus perhaps most, most thoroughly unpacks, uh, teaches us about the Trinity, God the Trinity. This most foundational of Christian doctrines, the subject of confusion by many, scorn by others, the truth that God is both one and three. One God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. When I was studying theology at college, I remember actually feeling some relief in the lecture where we came to begin our kind of unit talking about the Trinity and my theology lecturer acknowledged with us that actually God is big. He's bigger than we can get our heads around. And thinking about the Trinity, about the very being of God, stretches our minds. Of course it feels beyond our complete and comprehensive grasp. This is the nature of God that we're talking about. There is some mystery involved when we talk about God, the Trinity, that will be revealed to us and resolved for us in the end when we are face to face with God. But until then, God graciously gives us enough. He shows us enough of himself for us to know him. The Trinity is is a complicated doctrine But remember, what's Jesus doing here? He's not giving a doctrine lecture. He's comforting and reassuring and encouraging us. So as we dig into the Trinity, we do so for that purpose, to that end. Have a look with me uh, from verse 15 in your Bible there. Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So Jesus, he's calling his nervous followers to keep my commands. Right? That's what he wants them to do. And then he tells them, verse 16, that he, so Jesus, will ask the Father who will give them another advocate to help them and be with them forever, the spirit of truth. 
So after Jesus departs from them, when he goes away, when he goes back to heaven, he'll ask God the Father, you see the, the Trinity kind of coming into view here, who will send someone else, another advocate, who will help Jesus' followers like Jesus helped them. The Spirit of Truth, also called in this passage the, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit. Who is this Holy Spirit? Well, one writer, A.W. Tozer, he said this, the idea of the Holy Spirit to the average church member is so vague as to be non-existent. Or another, John, Lloyd John Ogilvie wrote, sadly, many Christians settle for two-thirds of God. God the Father is way up there somewhere, aloof and apart from their daily lives. Christ is out there somewhere, somewhere between them and the Father. And the Holy Spirit is some kind of vague force or impersonal power they hear about but do not know intimately. In Scripture, the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Counsel, the Eternal Spirit, the Good Spirit. He's called God. He's called the Lord, the Power of the Most High, the Spirit of Might, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Glory, the Spirit of Life, and many more titles. But in our verses today, the dominant name given to the Holy Spirit is the Advocate. You can see that there in in verses 16 and in 26. And as Jesus goes on in, in the weeks ahead of us, we'll see him refer to the Spirit this way several more times. If you've been around church for a while, you might have explored that word before, advocate, uh, that's variously translated in different versions of the Bible as, as comforter or helper or counsellor. It's from this Greek word, uh, parakletos, which means to be called alongside to help. So sometimes you, you might have found this term rendered as the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit being called the paraclete the one who comes alongside us to help us. He's our advocate. He helps us. He is God for us. As we explore here, we're going to see how he is for us. We'll see how he is with us. And we'll see how he is in us. He's God for us. He's he's in our corner. He's on our side. He's on our team. He's our guide and our support and our teacher. In this section, in this discourse with Jesus, the paraclete, the advocate, the helper, performs several different functions. He teaches and he reminds us of Jesus' words. He testifies about Christ. He guides us into truth. He proves the world to be in the wrong about the gospel. He reveals what is to come and he glorifies Christ. He helps in all kinds of ways. His, his ministry is the ministry of a, a, like a generalist, not a specialist ministry. He helps in the ways that we need help. Think of, um, think of like a, maybe a refugee advocate. I was trying to think about professions or, or vocations that might help us understand this. A refugee needs all kinds of help, right? And so their advocate, their, their counsellor, their helper helps them 
uh, access services, navigate the legal system, find housing and support, learn local culture, might go to meetings with them, provide the help that that person needs. In this sense, one writer writes, the Spirit will do what Christ did for his followers, but he will also do it differently, that is, from within. In that the, the person, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we can see that God is for us. He sends his Spirit to help you in your Christian life. Like God doesn't just give us salvation and then kind of pat us on the head and say, good luck, off you go. But no, he sends his Spirit to advocate for us, to help us. God puts his money where his mouth is. He follows through. If you ever find it hard to know that God cares about you or that he wants good for you, then know that the presence and the helping ministry of the Holy Spirit is evidence on top of the death and resurrection of Christ that God knows every hair on your head. He is intimately involved in your life. He is for you. With his spirit in you, he he shares every experience. He knows every sadness and grief and joy and hope. And he brings about change in your life as he sanctifies you and is sovereign over the circumstances and events of your life. And not only is the Holy Spirit of God for us, he's with us. He doesn't just advocate for us from a distance, right? He's, he's present. He's close. That's, that's important for these first hearers, these people Jesus is talking with, who are worried about Jesus leaving. Right? They've, they've got used to having the incarnate God walk with them and talk with them and teach them. John 1, the eternal word became flesh. Right, God added humanity to his divinity. God became one of us. When Jesus spoke to them, he spoke the very words of God, not, not veiled or interpreted, but directly from God to them. It's no wonder they're worried about him going away, right? But Jesus reassures them, he comforts them that there will be another advocate to be with them. See, we worship a God who is with us. He came to be with us in Jesus and then he gave us his ongoing presence in the person of the Spirit. And this this is really significant, I think, a, a real marker of our faith as Christians who believe in God the Trinity. All kinds of religions and spiritualities have transcendent gods, gods who are big and glorious and powerful. But there's no other faith that suggests anything like the Christian declaration that God took on humanity and continues to live with us. I did a bit of reading this week in preparation about the understanding in Islam of the the transcendence and the imminence. That means kind of the bigness and the closeness of Allah. Islam asserts, says that Allah is imminent, that he's, he's close to us, 
but only by appealing to his ongoing sustaining of life in the universe and by sending prophets to us. For me, that's an unsatisfying picture of God's closeness. You know, if, if if my dad paid my rent and had groceries delivered every week to my house and provided a cleaner and sent me emails with instructions to follow but I never saw him in person. That would be an unsatisfying relationship with my father. God is, is with us. He's with you. Spirit isn't a distant force. The spirit isn't a babysitter, right? just a substitute for the real thing while the parents are out. Mia cries out when I leave the room because she wants me with her. It doesn't work for her to know that I'm in the next room. But when we FaceTime, she's happy to see my face, but she gets kind of frustrated and uh, she knows that I'm kind of there, but not really. It doesn't work for her. Jesus says it in verse 23. He says, my father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. God makes his home with us, Father and Son, present by the Spirit in us. That's good news. Not only is God the Trinity for you, not only is God the Trinity with you, God the Trinity is in you. Verse 17. The world cannot accept the Spirit because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He lives with you and will be in you. Verse 20. On that day you will realize that I, this that's Jesus, am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. It was 40 days after Jesus died and rose again and ascended back to heaven as he's promising here that his disciples were hiding in a room in Jerusalem, uncertain, leaderless. Suddenly, Acts 2 says, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. The church was born here. This is the birth story of the church. Just like Jesus promised in our passage here in John 14:16, he had returned to the Father and asked the Father to send the Holy Spirit to help his people and be with us forever. And the Father granted Jesus' request. So the Father and Son came and made their home with their followers as the Spirit indwelt each believer, flooding through that first church and activating them to to begin the great project of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. These guys go from timid and, and rudderless and nervous to fearless, gospel-shining apostles of Jesus. 
messengers of good news because God's Spirit is in them. In Acts 4, just a little while later, as they're proclaiming this gospel to the Jewish elders by the power of the Spirit, it says the elders, they, they see the courage of Peter and John, the leaders among these apostles, and they, they realised, it says, that they were unschooled, ordinary men. What the elders see is the Spirit on display in these men. And, verse 13 says, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That same spirit is in us. He is in us. It's my, my deep, my desperate desire for my life that people would see the indwelling spirit on display through this ordinary man and be astonished and take note that he is with Jesus. Do you want that? That's the promise of God's indwelling spirit in you. His extraordinary presence in you turns you, ordinary believer, into a beacon for Christ. The indwelling spirit makes you an ambassador. He makes you a light in darkness. He makes you a refracting image of Christ in this world. Through our union with Christ in his death and resurrection, through our reconciliation with the Father and our experience of the spirit, we're drawn into the life of God himself. Like Jesus said in verse 20, I'm in my Father, you are in me, I am in you. As God dwells in us and we're drawn into the life of God, we reflect his image to the world around us. We take his gospel by his power to the ends of the earth. We're ambassadors for him. And I remember what Jesus is trying to do here, what we talked about before, right? He's showing us how God the Trinity relates to us and he's doing it in order to strengthen us to live for him in this world. So in in the, the few moments that we have left, I want to consider how the doctrine of the Trinity, the the reality of the Trinity, shapes our lives in the day-to-day, how it strengthens us to live for Jesus in this world. God the Trinity, God for us, God with us, God in us, is what we need to live for Jesus in this world. Because he is with us, because he is for us, because he is in us, we can obey his commands, like Jesus calls us to here. We can live the life he calls us to. Maybe you noticed a recurring phrase as we were reading, how much Jesus talks about the world. He uses that phrase six times here and continues to uh, throughout this discourse. 
the, the, the Greek word there is cosmos, a word that we still use to kind of describe the, the universe, right? It, it's a recurring phrase throughout John's Gospel. Right back in the beginning, in the, the prologue of the book, John wrote, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. So that the world in John's Gospel is the created order which didn't recognise its creator. The world in John's language is the created order in rebellion against its maker. And the world here is, is the realm in which we live and work and worship. And so because the, the world that we live in hasn't recognised its creator, it can be hard to live for Jesus in this world. Because we live in these, these two realities. The kingdom of God, which has, has begun and will continue for eternity, and the world, which continues but is passing away, coming to its end. And so, like a child whose parents have left the room, the, the world is a place where we might fear the absence of God's presence. But we have no need for fear because Jesus shows us we are never alone. We don't need to live for fear in this world. Because although the world didn't receive Jesus, although it's sometimes hostile to his people, God loves his world. Do you remember Jesus' most famous words about the world in John's Gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God is for this world. He's redeeming this world and he's using us to do it. He's for us, he's with us and he's in us as we are in the world. So that through us he might express that love for his world that we see in Jesus as we carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. So if if you ever feel like the Christian life is too hard or, or you, you're tempted to feel despair at recurring sin like you just haven't got it in you to live the way that God calls you to live then know today that you have got it in you because you have him in you you have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling you empowering you using you equipping you, sanctifying you to obey the commands of Jesus. It's his plan to transform the world through us, the gospel we carry by the power of his spirit. So, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Because God the Father, the Son and the Spirit is for you, he's with you, and he's in you to help you live for Jesus.
I'm going to thank God for his presence in us by his spirit and pray that he would do that work that he promises to do. So why don't you pray with me and then we'll sing. We praise you, God, Father, Son and Spirit, that you are for us, you're with us, you're in us. Thank you that it's by your presence and your power that we can live for Jesus in this world. And we pray that by your presence and power we would. Amen.